Welcome to this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, today we're excited because we're going to talk about a lot of topics. Uh, it, it, there's a new book that has just come out uh, from Bill Battle, and it's called The Master's Plan. And and this uh, really, and you and I were bragging on this beautiful book, uh, goes through uh, the life of Bill Battle, but at the same time it also offers a lot of pointers to those of you out there that maybe um, you're entrepreneurs, you're, you're trying to to think about, you know, how you're going to have a successful life involving your career and and maybe taking an idea and working through it. Uh, uh, Bill Battle can certainly talk to you about all the things he's been involved uh, with as well. So I guess, Bubba, without further ado, let's uh, welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, Bill Battle. Uh, Coach, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here, and I want to congratulate you on your success and uh, building the company that y'all have built. It's been incredible. Well, thank well, it's, you. It's been shocking to a lot of people, uh, <laughs> Coach Battle, uh, uh, us included. Uh, you know, Coach, I, I have to tell you, I, I didn't, you know, I, of course, when you came back and was uh, the athletic director at Alabama, I learned a lot more about you. But I remember growing up, uh, I, I mean, the only reference I had of you growing up was you being the coach at Tennessee. I remember seeing you on the sidelines dur- during a very yeah. successful time for Tennessee. Yeah, and I had a TV show in Birmingham, I think, yep. and uh, it's amazing what, uh, as y'all can attest, what uh, being on television does to you. Uh, it does for you, and it does to you. <laughs> There's pros and cons to it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. What was it they told us one time that if you get on the radio, that, that you might be popular, but if you get on TV, it makes you a star? Well, i tell you who said that to us was Sean Hannity. He said, the radio will make you famous, TV will make you a star. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was I, it. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So, what I have to ask you this, because we want to go back through your life, since this book is about your life. It's called The Master's Plan, uh, My Guide to a Successful Life and Career by Bill Battle. Uh, you know, it's it's available. Now, some of you may be thinking you're listening to this podcast over the weekend. Hey, Dad's uh, Father's Day's coming up. No way I could get it online and get it in time. And that may be true. But if you uh, if you have a Books a Million or a Barnes & Noble uh, near you, you can go out and grab a copy. But, of course, if uh, you're not concerned about when you get it, you can get it also at uh, Amazon and Whitman.com, Whitman being the publisher. But, you know, you played, uh, you know, high school ball uh, in, in the same uh, city, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, as, uh, as my dad and, uh, he played at Jones Valley, you played at West end and, uh, and mom and dad both told me, and, and you have confirmed that today that, uh, you guys did know each other and did, did hang out a little bit, uh, because, uh, the schools were so close together. We did. We were, uh, uh, the, the Jones Valley crowd and the West end crowd did hang out a lot together. And we had a lot of good friends that went to Jones Valley uh, they were in the county and we were in the city. Uh, Jones Valley's football team was a whole lot better than ours. You know, it's amazing. We only won six games in four years when I was at West End High School. And uh, I, I never will forget the headlines of the West End newspaper said, West End in successful grid season 441. <laughs> and uh, uh, success. Winning four games is not many people's uh, wheelhouse, but after you've only won two in the last three years, winning four was pretty big. Yeah, and, and what's <laughs> interesting about that, you know, in the book, it talks about that your high school experience in football, you know, was mediocre, uh, but because uh, you as an individual were, were a great player and, 
and uh, you said that uh, you and, and my dad, you guys got to play in the, the high school all-star game. You end up at the University of Alabama where, uh, you know, you guys were, were 29-2-2 two and two during the time there. So how did it feel to go from one extreme to the other? Well, it was uh, it was a 180-degree turn. It was a definite, uh, from the start, it was a definite uh, uh, lesson on the difference in winning and losing and what I'd been used to and how we had approached the game and how Coach Bryant and Alabama approached the game uh, were obviously very different. And it was very impressionable on me. You know, I was a 18, 19-year-old guy, and, uh, and the success that we had uh, really decided, made me decide to that I wanted to become a college football coach. Coach, uh, what what was it at the University of Alabama? Obviously, you were a pretty good player. You wouldn't have been there to begin with. But what what kind of things did you learn there from Coach Bryant that really made a difference or, or changed your outlook on life? Well, uh, Coach Bryant was a very influential figure in my life, more than anyone other than my father and mother, probably. Uh, and I still think about him almost every day. Uh, he uh, uh, was was really good about applying football rules to life rules. And, uh, you know, there were so many life lessons that he taught that are too many to name. But one of the most critical, I think, was that, uh, you know, he talked about when you were down when things were bad, you'd lost your job, your, wa- your wife ran away with a drummer, and it couldn't get any worse. Uh, you had to pick yourself up and, and, uh, and go again and not give up and, and do what you needed to do to be successful. And I think that's why I, I think competitive athletics teaches uh, never quit. You know, things can get tough in the fourth quarter, but you got to rise to the occasion. You got to find something down deep and and uh, not uh, let them see you sweat and and uh, and go on and and pull through. And and I think that has had as much influence on me as anything. When things get tough, don't worry about it. Put it in the past and and keep plowing forward. You know, you hear about him as a coach, and that's well documented. And um, I, but you're talking beyond that because it's obvious you were also, and we'll get into some of that uh, throughout the podcast. You were also successful in the business world. He influenced you as a coach, and I want to ask you a specific question about that first. You said uh, that you, he was the most influential man in your life, other than your own father, uh, and then of course your mother. But did you remember that when you decided to go into coaching? Because I know uh, being the son of a coach, one of the things that I think uh, uh, maybe young coaches don't understand is when you become the coach of any young man, if they have a great father, you become the second most influential man in their life. If their father relationship is non-existent or not very good, you become the most influential man in a young man's life. Um, did, did, did you carry that with you when you went into coaching yourself? Uh, I did. You know, I was an assistant coach at Tennessee four years before I became the head coach, and I got to know our 
players very well. I worked with our uh, receivers, which meant I worked with our quarterbacks a lot and, and our whole offense a lot. And I, I knew the, uh, the, the, the lay of the land there at uh, the University of Tennessee and the administration and was comfortable uh, with all of that. Uh, but there was a huge difference. However much you think you know as an assistant coach, when you sit in that head coach's chair, it's a big, big difference. And the learning curve was steep and fast, and you didn't have much time to, to you had to pick it up on the run. So uh, it was uh, a very interesting experience. And But, yes, uh, I, I did uh, – uh, get to know the players very well. As a matter of fact, I still stay in touch with a lot of the former players at Tennessee. Actually, I wasn't but a few years older than some of them. And uh, <laughs> I, I just turned 28 when I got the head coaching job. And uh, we were I was with a bunch of them last week, and, and one of them was only three years younger than me. So uh, we were, we were kind of – uh, colleagues as well as the coach-player uh, relationship. But I always, uh, wherever I was in coaching or as an athletic director, uh, the idea was to improve the, uh, the, the, the athletic and academic uh, abilities of, the, of our student-athletes. And that's what we tried to do. We tried to get them graduated. We try to get them prepared for life after graduation, but we wanted to win championships as well. Yeah, uh, mixing both of those, is, it, it takes quite a bit of skill, which can apply to other things in life. And we'll come back and continue to talk about that. The name of the book is The Master's Plan by Bill Battle, and we'll continue our conversation when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. Our guest today is Bill Battle, and, and you have to pardon us, you know, Coach and Bubba and I both. Once you've coached, you're coach for the rest of your life. Uh, you know, it, 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 no, you, you can retire, you can go into other things, but if you spent time being a coach, everybody calls you coach uh, the rest of your life. I've seen that with Dad, and, and, and we're doing that again today, so I hope that's okay. You're, you're always coach if you ever were a coach. <laughs> I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> coach, let me ask you this. Being involved in some uh, programs that are, you know, landmark college programs, Alabama, Oklahoma, Tennessee – uh, were there any glaring differences behind the scenes uh, of those programs, or were there more common things? No, there were there were both, uh, and Army was another one. Uh, you know, Bud Wilkinson at uh, Oklahoma was an English major, and personality-wise, he was probably about 180 degrees from Coach Bryant. Uh, but they both had the same goals. And Coach Wilkinson won 47 in a row at one time and dominated the Big Eight for years. And it was a great experience for me uh, to go there because I got to work personally with him and in drills most every day, which was exciting and, and a good learning curve for me. Uh, Paul Dietzel at West Point was a totally different guy. He was more of a showman, maybe. Uh, and, uh, uh, but he again had the same goals and he had won a national championship at, at LSU with Billy Cannon and shocked the world by, 
uh, leaving in the early 60s, I guess, to go to West Point. He had been to West Point before, and he thought he could dominate at West Point, but the rules had changed, and that wasn't the case. But it was a great learning curve for me because uh, I actually was in the military those two years. And uh, so recruiting at West Point was about as tough a place to recruit <laughs> as you as you can find, particularly in those days because Vietnam was just cranking up. And then I got hired as an assistant at Tennessee. And Doug Dickey was a, was different personality-wise from all all three of them, but uh, but again had the same goals and ended up winning championships as well. So uh, they were all mentors to me, and I learned a lot from every one of them. And one of the things that I learned uh, that was most important is you better be yourself, because you know there were people that tried to be Coach Bryant and failed, because nobody can be Coach Bryant. And uh, there was a story, Fuzzy Thurston from the. Packers, uh, I never knew Coach Lombardi, but in his book, he said uh, he, had, he had a quote that really uh, uh, intrigued me. He said, Coach Lombardi had the ability to push a team to the brink of mutiny, but he always knew when to pull back. And, uh, and I know that there were coaches that left Alabama that tried to be Coach Bryant and Coach Bryant did push you to the brink of mutiny and didn't know when to pull back. But uh, but some of them didn't, and it didn't work out so well for them. So anyway, I thought there was a, uh, that was a, a pretty common uh, a trait that uh, Coach Bryant and Coach Lombardi had. Yeah, you, you're all over that. I think sometimes people, uh, when they try to emulate another coach, they, they can't quite get that balance you just talked about where you don't cross them. They're clearly in charge. They work you, but when you're doing it right, they also come with the same intensity know where the lines are. And then they encourage you and build you up after they've broken you down into something that you never even thought you could accomplish. And when people try to pretend to do that, as opposed to having the ability to do that, you're right. A lot of times it can go South. Uh, so what, 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 but uh, you're certainly your own man, but of these Hall of Fame coaches that you were able to be uh, under, I mean, three Hall of Fame coaches, do you think there is one that you were more like than the other, or do you think that you did a pretty good job of being a combination of all of it, and that really is who Bill Battle, the coach, became, a version of all of them? Yeah, I tried to be me. I tried to, you know, my personality is different than, than all of them, I guess. And I tried to um, – you know, I, 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 I didn't try to emulate anybody else. Coach Bryant uh, probably influenced me more yeah. in some of the decisions that I made. Uh, uh, and there's no doubt about that. But, uh, but again, I, uh, I knew I couldn't be Coach Bryant and, uh, and didn't try to be. Coach, let me ask you this, and, and we'll ask you a, a specific question about Tennessee since you were there. Uh, they've struggled the last few years. They've been through uh, a time that's not very Tennessee-like. If you could wave a magic wand to to help the Tennessee fans out and fix their football program, what would you do? Well, I, I, I obviously don't have a magic wand, so I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, when you look back, uh, Tennessee has been very unstable at the presidential level 
as well as uh, athletic director and football coach. And it really needs to be the, the, the chief operating officer and chief executive officer of the university need to buy into uh, the athletic program or vice versa. Uh, athletics needs to not try to be the tail that wags the dog, but it is the, uh, as some would say, the front porch of the university. Yep. And so it is very important that everybody be on the same page. And I'm afraid that at Tennessee, that hasn't happened in a while. And I hope and think that it's back uh, to where it is, uh, where they are in sync. And uh, if they are, uh, then I think they can be successful. Uh, it won't come easy. It, in the Southeastern Conference, it's hard to recruit anyway. But when you're in a hole to start with, which Tennessee is because they lost a lot of their their better players to the transfer portal, which I don't like. Uh, they uh, uh, it's going to take some time to rebuild and get some players. But I did. Uh, I was uh, piddling around in the house yesterday when the Tennessee uh, spring game was on, and uh, I, I, I did watch it. And there was a. Was, Josh Heupel throws the ball a lot. It, I think it ended up 37-34. It, it was kind of a shootout, but it looks like they got some good receivers and some good quarterbacks. And that, that freshman quarterback that really played well against us, against Alabama, uh, a few years ago is back on the scene. He had, he had a, a concussion issue that kept him out for a year or two. But uh, anyway, I, I think they'll be exciting. Uh, I think they are going to be in trouble on defense, but uh, it'll take them time. It's, t- it's it's hard to catch up in the Southeastern Conference. No doubt. Bill Battle is our guest. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk more about uh, you know the, the, the decade of, of coaching, and then uh, you, you leave and you go into the business world. And then we want to talk about what it was like when you returned back uh, to college football as an athletic director and how much the game had changed, uh, even based on some of the things you've already mentioned. We'll ask you, your opinion on that when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. So, Bubba, when you're running a small business, uh, I mean, you maybe well, we're running on tight margins and you don't have, you know, a lot lying around for your HR department. So, then what happens? Well, your HR department trying to keep up with all the different things that are going on becomes, uh, you know, um, a liability as opposed to an asset. But that could all change with a, a little trip over uh, to our friends at Bambi.com slash Rick Bubba. That's uh, that's Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Rick Bubba. Let me tell you what Bambi can do for your small business. And they were specifically designed for small businesses. You get a dedicated HR manager who then crafts HR policy, uh, maintains your compliance, all for just $99 a month. Now, with Bambi, you can change HR from that liability that I just mentioned to becoming your biggest strength. It can become an asset now. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, real-time chat, and here's what they do. They can, they can help you with onboarding uh, to the uncomfortable terminations that are part of doing business. They customize your policies to fit your business, and they help you manage your employees day by day, and you're paying $99 a month, and you're not even locked in to any long-term deal. It is month-to-month, no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. Look, you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. 
Get your free HR audit today. All you do is go to Bambi.com slash Rick Bubba right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi, B-A-M-B-E dot com slash Rick and Bubba. All right, so we're back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. We are talking with Bill Battle. The book is out, The the Master's Plan, uh, My Guide to a Successful Life and Career. We, we've been talking to Coach Battle mainly about uh, his, his time as a college football player and a college football coach, but then 10 years into coaching, you decided to get into the business world. Why did you make, uh, why did you make that decision? What happened? Well, I didn't beat Alabama enough. That was one thing that helped me. <laughs> help you make that, that decision. <laughs> uh, you know, Tennessee had beaten Alabama. Uh, uh, we had won uh, conference championships in 67 and 69 uh, and beaten Alabama three straight years. And then my first year as head coach, we ended up beating Alabama again, shutting them out for the first time in a hundred and something games and, and luckily beat them 24 to nothing. Uh, we intercepted eight passes. They had about 400 and something yards up and down the field, but we, uh, we intercepted eight passes and scored on a couple of those. And, uh, uh interestingly enough, the next year, uh, coach Bryant was asked uh, about the intercepting eight passes and he said, well, they won't intercept eight this year because we won't throw eight. And they, did it. They, they threw five, and they caught three, and we caught two. But Alabama won, and, and Alabama shocked the world in 1971 after Coach Bryant had gone six and five in 69 and 70 and upset Southern Cal out on the West Coast uh, with Johnny Musso leading that team mm-hmm. and came back and I think went undefeated. But during the decade of the 70s, Coach Bryant won more games than anybody had ever won and won eight SEC championships and three national championships. So it wasn't a great place to be. Uh, it, 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 we were – all the rest of us were were coaching against Coach Bryant like all everybody did now is coaching against Coach Saban. Uh, let me tell you – let me tell you uh, an interesting story on the name of the book. So uh, I never wanted to be an athletic director, and I really didn't want to do it when I got the call uh, because we were uh, safely semi-retired in Atlanta, and and, uh, I had an office, and they were paying me a lot of money and didn't ask much to do, and and we were in a dream house in a dream neighborhood, and and I got a call on a Sunday night, and... uh, uh, it, by the next Sunday, I decided I was going to go back as the athletic director, and that uprooted our life. So when I took the job, I stayed in Tuscaloosa, and Mary went home to uh, figure out how to sell the house that we never thought we'd sell and and um, move furniture and buy a new house and all the things you do in a move. And so a few weeks into that, uh, I went home one weekend to, to, to Atlanta, and on the way back uh, uh, to Tuscaloosa, my cell phone rang, and it was Leroy Mullins. Leroy was uh, an assistant trainer at Tennessee when I was coaching, and he left to take the head trainer's job at Ole Miss uh, under, I think, Billy Brewer and later Steve Sloan. 
Uh, but anyway, Leroy said, hey, coach, I'm so glad to see you back working with young people again. And I said, well, Leroy, that wasn't in my master plan. <laughs> and he said, well, it was in the master's plan. Yeah. And, and I thought about that. Uh, and I thought, you know, there was seemed to me some uh, incidents of divine intervention in me going back to Alabama and certainly a few cases after I got back. And when I looked at my life, uh, I couldn't imagine all the places that I had been and the people that influenced my life and and the cities that I moved to that influenced my life and how all that could have been an accident. So I do believe there's a plan and I, I do believe that you have to uh, be alert and take advantage of it. Uh, but I do believe there's a plan and that's how the that's how the name of the book came about. Yeah, no doubt. Coach, uh, the Collegiate Licensing Company, yeah. uh, I guess that's where you were working and who you were involved in before you went back to Alabama. Tell us a little bit about that and how that idea came about and what you guys were actually doing. Well, I was in Selma. I decided uh, after I decided I, I couldn't turn it around at Tennessee uh, and I, I had decided earlier that I wasn't going to be a 65 year old coach and I wanted to see how other people lived. Uh, I wanted to see if I could make some money. And so, uh, that seemed like a, a good segue when I resigned and, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had uh, a year to look around and, and make that call. And I ended up in a, in a strange, uh, I guess, uh, uh, decision going to Selma, Alabama, working for my first little league football coach, Larry Striplin, who was running a, running two companies, uh, uh, the Nelson Brantley Glass Company that was doing about $7 million a year, and, and the Window Company, uh, which was the new company and the growing company, and it was at the time had gotten up to $5 million a year. So two companies doing $12 million. I was there six years and we ended up with being 10 companies with $60 million in mm. revenue. So it was a great educational experience for me. Coach Bryant was on our board and actually called me and asked me if I knew Larry. And, and I told him I did, and I, I knew him very well. And, uh, so anyway, uh, Selma, the six years I was in Selma was really a great experience. We had, uh, uh, it was a great place to raise children. And, uh, uh, and it was a great business education for me. But, but how it got started, uh, among those 10 companies, almost none of them were construction materials related, which, again, the boss ain't always right, but he's always the boss. And so we bought Odie Chrisman putter company. Odie Chrisman was a uh, old Southern pro that started making uh, mallet head hickory shafted putters back when he was on the circuit and got hot and got to selling putters and became pretty famous <laughs> for selling putters. And uh, so Larry had caddied for Odie and thought that if he could sell winners all over the world, he could sell putters. And that wasn't true. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> So, 
So one day, I, three years into it, I'd become president of the window company, which was the, the largest company. And but Larry called me one day and said, uh, this was 1979. I'd never heard of licensing. And he said, uh, I got a meeting with Jack Nicholas group. I want you to go with me. So we flew down to Palm Beach and met with Nicholas's licensing guy all day and uh, found out pretty soon that uh, Nicholas's heirs uh, would make uh, money off the Golden Bear logo and signature long after Jack had passed. And uh, so before the end of the day, we left with exclusive rights to uh, the Golden Bear logo and the Jack Nicholas signature on on all uh, non-apparel items, mm. uh, items like golf gloves and socks and tees and all the things that go with go along in a golf shop, uh, which was pretty important. But we also, by the end of the day, met with Jack, and Jack talked Larry into buying uh, into Jack Nicholas Eyewear, which was sold to the ophthalmic trade. So we hired a guy named Eddie Dobbs to come in and run this conglomerate of making putters and selling eyewear and and uh, – and accessories. And so, and Eddie was really good. He was smart. Uh, he knew about manufacturing. He knew about licensing. And so he went out and got the rights to Disney characters. And for, so we became licensees of, of Disney and also later IMG and learned a lot about licensing in, in Selma, uh, uh as a licensee. And then, uh, uh, so the the first year we paid Jack seventy five thousand in royalties. We paid him eight percent of everything we sold in eyewear and everything else, and uh, but mostly it was eyewear at the time. And uh, so I said, "Why are we paying Jack seventy five thousand dollars?" And Eddie said, "Well, uh, the people that are buying from us don't know us from Adam, but they do know the Jack Nicholas brand and the Golden Bear brand and." And that's he, he's well worth what we're paying him. So that made sense to me. So two years later, Coach Bryant uh, came to a board meeting. I was running the window company board, and I also had to go pick up Coach Bryant at the Holiday Inn. I was shocked that he would come to a board meeting during the season, but he did. And we were walking up the stairs to the meeting, and he said, he was going to change agents that the guys in New York weren't doing anything for him. Well, that was IMG, the best yeah. sports marketing company in the world. And uh, so anyway, I, I was usually nervous about running those board meetings because uh, we had contractors and people knew a lot more about our business than I did. And I had to prepare hard for those meetings. But that day I couldn't hardly think about windows. I was thinking about, Holy cow, here's Coach Bryant. If he wins nine games in 1981, he becomes the all-time winningest coach. And we've got this little company that's, uh, you know, doing Jack Nicholas stuff. And and uh, maybe we can do for Coach Bryant what Golden Bear did for Jack Nicholas. So, anyway, after the meeting, I went down and, and uh, – uh, Told him I didn't know anything about being an agent, but knew about him. And he agreed to sign a exclusive agency agreement with us. 
uh, to represent him and all of his uh, licensing and and marketing opportunities and speaking engagements. And uh, Larry got him uh, a great uh, gig on with South Central Bell. Ma Bell was breaking up in those days, and uh, uh, there was a famous uh, South Central Bell commercial about have you called your mama today that uh, that lives on and oh, you yeah. can Google and go to it. It was fantastic. I was outside the room when they were shooting it and it was it was pretty incredible. That was an afterthought at the end of the shooting and he just came up with that line. I sure wish I could call mine. Mm. And uh, and then the and then we went for another hour uh, uh, going over that one. So, uh, but the South Central Bell said that that elicited more mail than any uh, ad that they had ever that they had ever run. So, uh, so anyway, uh, uh, we uh, later on we got the word out that you couldn't do anything without uh, with Coach Bryant without going through us. So, in the summer, he started to get more press recognition because uh, of the potential breaking of the record. Oh, yeah. And so we started to get requests from uh, licensees saying, can we use Alabama's logos in conjunction with Coach Pryor? So I went to the Southeastern Conference and asked them, you know, can I represent your schools? And they said, all we can give you is the SEC logo. You got to go to the schools. So we went to the SEC and ACC and ended up signing Alabama as our first school. Ole Miss came on pretty soon after that. And in the next couple of years, we signed seven of the eight Atlantic Coast Conference schools. So that gave us nine schools to start with and let us get started in, in this business of licensing uh, university names and logos, and we worked closely with Alabama and their attorneys to get a good contract uh, that was protective of the universities. And uh, so uh, by 1983, I saw that this was a real business and it didn't need to be in Selma. So I bought it out and moved it to Atlanta and merged with a guy on the West Coast who was doing the same thing. Uh, he was the bookstore manager at Southern Cal. And uh, he, he was uh, he was about the same place we were. So we merged in 83 with 25 universities. And and then in January of 84, uh, and we were going to do it uh, earlier, but school came into play. And but we moved to Atlanta in January of 1984. And and that's how the whole thing got started. Wow. We're gonna we're gonna come back and and so that's when he had it like he locked it yep, in, in yep. Atlanta and then uh, speaking of uh, of Mama calling he gets called back to Alabama as athletic director which he mentioned and we'll talk about that experience when Rick and Bubba University the podcast continues. Bill Battle is our guest. Uh, he is talking to us. The book is called The Master's Plan. Uh, you know we're just scratching the surface on all the stories and all the information uh, that you'll find in this book um, about the life and the the business, uh, uh, some of the stuff we just talked about um, on doing business and having a successful life and a successful business, uh, it's all there uh, in this uh, incredible story of Bill Battle. 
uh, the book available wherever you get books on Amazon.com, Whitman.com, uh, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. They have it um, retail as well. So you told us how the the whole CLC, the Collegiate Licensing Company, I, I never knew that it all happened because Bear Bryant happened to mention to you he was thinking about changing agents, um, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yep. So you, before we move back to you being athletic director. Did you just kind of? It sounds like you had a, a natural uh, giftedness when it came to business too. There was no guarantee that when you left coaching that you would be successful in business. Is that something that came natural to you? Was it just there? Well, uh, I, I wanted to see if I could uh, learn. I didn't have any business experience or background, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, the experience at, at in Selma going from uh, two companies to doing 12 million to 10 companies doing 60 was a great over six years. That was a great business educational yeah. experience for me. I learned an awful lot about things to do and and maybe of greater value. I learned a lot of things about what not to do. <laughs> yeah. And so I had a pretty good idea. And, and the, the ability uh, to start the company uh, while I was in Selma and get it up and running uh, kind of in quotes uh, before I bought it out. So it was, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a learning experience over time, but six years is, you know, that's more than it takes for a college degree. So I was, uh, I did learn about, uh, balance sheets and and budgets and and uh, cash flow and all the things important to a business. So uh, I, it, it didn't come natural, but it uh, it was there for me to learn, and and I did a pretty good job of absorbing it. Athletic director, you're in Atlanta. You're where you want to live. You're you're you got you got the company rolling, and Alabama calls you back as athletic director. Uh, we all agree that was in the master's plan because you said it, you, it wasn't in your plan. Um, I heard somebody say, and I don't know who to credit this with, that if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. Uh, but, but, but anyway, so you go back and you have a unique perspective uh, to have played for Coach Bear Bryant and now be athletic director alongside what some people may say is the greatest college football coach so far in college football history, Nick Saban. Um, what, what is it, do you see similarities in the two and, and what are some things you see different in the two? Well, I see a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. They, uh, they both have, I think, a philosophy of, uh, play great defense, have a great running game and supplement the running game with a passing game as best you can. And as best you can got a lot different. Uh, with the signing of Tua Tagovailoa, uh, and Mac Jones uh, even added to that, uh, but it'll it may be different this year. I hope it's not. Uh, I know Bryce Young is a great young talent, and I think he'll do extremely well. Uh, but it was uh, you know special to me uh, to think about being at Alabama four years under Coach Bryant and then being uh, at Alabama four years uh, under the leadership of, of Nick Saban as the head football coach. And uh, before I 
uh, took the job. I went and met with with Nick, and you know, I I, I wanted to make sure that 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 wouldn't be a problem with him. He was there and he was established, and uh, you know, we met for over thirty minutes, and I know he doesn't like to meet. Uh, and I tried to leave a couple of times and he said, no, this is important to me. <laughs> and he asked good questions and hopefully I gave good answers. And at the end of that session, uh, which was again, the Friday before I made my decision, uh, he said, well, I hope you take it if you want it. So I took that as a positive and, and then, uh, ended up, uh, uh, taking the job and, and knowing that I would, uh, if I didn't do it, I'd regret it for the rest of my life, and I would have. And so uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, being the athletic director with Nick Saban as the coach is a pretty special thing because you know he's going to take care of football. And But the thing about Nick is that everything that he touches, he wants to be uh, excellent, and he wants it to be a competitive advantage. So you don't have to worry about uh, uh, the, the same things that you want, he wants, and is working hard to, to achieve and has achieved. So it was great uh, working alongside Nick and watching him work. I learned a, a lot from him, and uh, and, and hopefully – uh, you know, Mal had just passed away, and and Alabama was in in good shape. They had won five national championships that year, and so it was coming in, and and the 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 idea was to come in and and have a smooth transition and and not lose ground, uh, which they were afraid would happen if they had to go out uh, on the market to to hire an AD. So. Uh, I was able to do that, I think, and and was proud of it and enjoyed the experience. I, I've got to know we're we're just about out of time, but I've I've got to know what Nick Saban's concerns were when you were applying for that, or you were looking at that job, and how did you ease his mind of it? His first question was, "Someday, all the Coach Bryant's people are going to be dead," and I said, "Well, I'm pretty close." <laughs> So, uh, you know, we had a, we had a conversation and I don't know if I said anything to ease his mind, but I told him how proud that I was as an alumnus and a former player. And I knew our former players were proud of the job that Alabama had done under his leadership. And, and we appreciated how hard he worked and how hard he recruited. And, and I didn't want to do anything but support him and and hopefully that was believable and and I think we I think our relationship was was pretty good during the during the time that uh, the four years that I was there uh, we had a you know we had a few sessions that weren't as pleasant as they could be but uh, uh, but but overall it was I think it was a positive experience hopefully for both of us. What were you in trouble or was Nick in trouble in those? <laughs> Oh, Nick was never in trouble. <laughs> <laughs>
So don't, so, so don't, don't worry. No, no, not, not, not at all. And uh, oh, well, it, it's what a, a well of experience. I'm telling you, this this yeah. book it, it's a big one, and it, it needs to be, and it's beautiful, and and uh, there's a lot here that we didn't even scratch the surface on. So the name of it again, the Master's Plan, Bill Battle, my guide to a successful life and career. And as you've heard in just this 45 minutes that we've been with Bill Battle. Uh, there's a whole lot more to it, and as you roll through these pages, you'll find it. So, uh, Bill, thank you so much, Coach, for taking time to be with us. Uh, I know you got a lot going on, and thanks for trusting us with helping launch this book for you. Well, I appreciate your time, and, and again, congratulate you on your success, and please give my regards to your parents. I definitely will. Uh, they, uh, they think very highly of you, and I'll pass, uh, pass that along that an old West End boy just wanted to check in a couple of Jones Valley brownies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Right. Thanks, Thank coach. you, Coach. <laughs> Thank you, Coach. Thank you very much. Bill Have Battle, you too. Uh, look for the book. If you want to go retail, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, they have it. Uh, but if you uh, do not have those locations near you, you can get it at Amazon.com or go to Whitman.com. Again, the name of it, The Master's Plan, Bill Battle. And uh, we are thankful to all of you who joined us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. The hero in all this is Judy Tanner. She was my assistant, and she was great at interpreting my writing. (laughs) And, And I was... Back at, back at CLC, early days of CLC, before I had a computer, I was a cut-and-paste guy, but I did it with scissors and scotch tape. <laughs> and <I> was- <laughs>